This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on indicating who's paying the bill, throwing a housewarming party for someone else, someone who never brings a dish to a party, and an uncomfortable play date. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about asking people to stop apologizing. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on royal etiquette and debrettes. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Dan, what's shaking today? I'm so glad you asked me what's shaking because that's a perfect entree into what I've been wanting to talk about on today's intro. What's that? I was dancing in the street the other day. And by the other day, I mean just a couple of days ago. And Uh if... I had told you that in my mid-20s, you would have said, oh, that makes perfect sense. You're working as a professional dancer, and I know you're interested in (laughs) contact improvisation, and you might find yourself out on a street somewhere dancing and improvising. (laughs) But in my current life, it is less likely to happen. And definitely for the last two years, it was way less likely to happen. And I want to give credit to a woman whose name I don't know, but she just touched me the other day, and it was so awesome. And the story begins with me waiting in line at a pickup window in Montpelier at my favorite restaurant, Willowan. So I'm already in a good mood because I'm waiting for delicious food. And there happened to be some street musicians there who were playing an accordion and a guitar, and it was sort of folk music. And sure enough, and I will describe her this way because it accurately describes her, a little old lady walked by. And Mm -hmm. she was probably about five feet tall with very tight gray curls, and she had a a grocery cart walker that she was pushing in front of her. But as she Mm -hmm. heard the music, she started to kind of bop as she went by (laughs) and she just couldn't help herself. She like pushed the walker cart out in front of her and she started to swing her arms and, and swing her hips and move around and declared that she was ready to dance. And this was awesome. And it wasn't just that she was moving and she was moving in a really free way, but she was also Mm -hmm. making eye contact and engaging with everyone that was standing (laughs) around waiting for food, everyone that stopped to hear the music. And she implored me, come, come dance with me, come dance with me. And I I couldn't say no. I didn't want to. It was so embarrassing. It was so awkward, but it would have been more awkward to say no to this person who was so happy and present and engaging. And 
Well, and it's dance, which you really do actually like engaging with. So, like, so even no if excuse. the embarrassment was there, it's like he's got he, he's got a number of things pulling him to jump into this this moment. <laughs> and physically, her hand on my hand, saying, "Let's go," makes it even harder, right? <laughs> and and she kind of leans in, and she's looking right in my eyes, and she's speaking kind of close, maybe a little closer than that comfortable eighteen inches, and she says. You know, if two people dance, then three people are going to dance. And if three people dance, everyone's going to dance. <laughs> so I danced and she danced <laughs> and she was so much more free and uninhibited than I was. But I, I made an effort. <laughs> I, I tried. And sure enough, it captured the attention of what I'm guessing was a little three-year-old girl who was coming down the sidewalk with her parents. And the the woman I was dancing with sort of engaged her, not quite as directly as she engaged me, but she didn't sure. need to because the three-year-old was game. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it was. It was the three of us dancing. And we were dancing together. We were dancing in a circle. We were moving around. We paired <laughs> off. And everybody didn't start dancing, but everybody had a smile on their face. And Aww. sure enough, this was going on long enough that – Eventually, this woman says, oh, no, I'm late for my appointment. I have to go. I don't want to go, but I have to go. And <laughs> she had to end what she started or, or tap out of what she started. Yeah. She, she kind of dances her way over to a cart, her, her, her cart. And as she's making her way away, she turns around and kind of calls out to the little crowd of people that were there. I'm turning 94 in two weeks. And if I can dance, you can all dance. Let's do it. And she rolls on down the street. Dancing. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. That is a, a very, I feel like a very Vermont interaction. I know that could happen anywhere and it, and it does happen other places. But the particular town you're talking about, I feel like in Vermont is ripe for this type of interaction, you know, Montpelier, the capital, shuffle yes. some of the ages, days, you know, circumstances a little bit. But, and that definitely does happen in, in our capital, not infrequently, I imagine. But it, it's so nice to hear uh, such a vivid depiction of it and what happened. And I'm glad it brightened your day, cuz. <laughs> well, it, it really did. And I'm, I'm, I'm still f flying on the experience a little bit, but it was one of, of several that I've noticed have happened in my life in the last month where I found mm -hmm. myself having really positive interactions with strangers. Yeah. And we've talked a lot this summer about our, our social lives turning back on. I found that my participation in and activities with other people have increased. And that's been so nice. It's been such a, a return to a feeling of normalcy. Mm -hmm. But I'm realizing in this last month that there's another return that's happening in my life, which is the, the unplanned social interactions and engagements, the, yeah. the encounters I have with strangers that are positive encounters that were unplanned and unanticipatable in many ways, and yet end up really filling me up and giving me a, a, a real sense of, of being alive and being connected with other people. And I just want to acknowledge that that's starting to feel like something that's happening again around me. And I don't know whether it's a, a post pandemic return. I don't want to reference everything in relation to that. To but the it's pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> reminding me of times and the, the nearest thing I can think of that's like them are, are three years ago. So it's, yeah. it's just something I was it's feeling, feeling like really that. <laughs> good about and wanted to share because I'm hoping other people are feeling it too. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing. 
And you know what else might make some people feel good? What's that, Lizzie Post? <laughs> Is if we answer some of their etiquette questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our first question is titled, Bill Buddy. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener, first-time caller. I have a question about how to indicate to restaurant waitstaff about who is picking up the bill. When I, a woman, take my partner, a man, out to dinner, the waitstaff often assumes that he is the one paying the bill. I find that they will place the bill at his elbow or hold it out to him. I've found that the more expensive the restaurant, the more often it is assumed that my partner will be paying. Sometimes the waiter will thank my partner after the bill is handed back with my card in it. How do I indicate that I will be the one paying for the meal? If I am taking my partner out, I put the reservation in my name. But maybe there's something more I should be doing. I have been listening to the podcast for a few years now, and I look forward to each new episode. You've both helped me to navigate growing into adulthood, and I'm thankful every day. Can't wait to get my hands on a copy of the new book, Confused in Carolina. Oh, Confused in Carolina. I hope our answer helps you feel less confused, and I can't wait to help get the copy of the new book into your hands. This is a not uncommon etiquette conundrum. I've heard about it particularly in the world of business, where oftentimes you'll have women taking men out and this assumption being made. And because it's a professional or more formal situation, the expectation that the host pays is really something that, that people want to stick to. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't need to be a situation like that for it to matter. I love that you love to take your partner out to dinner. <clears throat> uh, all spouses and partners out there take notes uh, uh are you oh oh is this should i be sending you know what i will i will dan i will tell Pooja to listen to this specific episode <laughs> and she tried to take me out on saturday and i you didn't let her <laughs> i didn't let her because her parents were up and they were gonna babysit but i i thought it would be good just everyone to have dinner together and it was late anyway long story short Pooja does really good at this does really well at this um <laughs> But back to an answer that would help. I just want to both say that if this is something that's happening 
on a pretty regular basis that I think it's important for you to say something. And I think there are lots of opportunities to do that. I also want to say that I wish that it wasn't something where you had to say something every time. I wish that having a reservation in your name was enough that people would notice that would treat you as the host of the party, or at least the organizer and would start with an assumption that you would be a good person to hand a bill to. Cause let me jump in for half a second and just say, I have hope for the future on this. I actually do think that as more and more people become aware, you start to have gen like, you know, a generation that is aware of this and thinking about it and asking the question rather than making the assumption. Like, this is one that I think 10 years from now, we won't be getting this question very often. I'm glad you interrupted because I agree <laughs> with that sentiment. And it's precisely because I think this is something that a lot of people are going to be very comfortable with and a lot of people are going to want to get right and that an increasing number of people will be aware of that saying something doesn't need to be a big deal. It's mm -hmm. not a big ask and it's not something that's going to be hard for them to do. So I think just mentioning it is going to be enough. And I was thinking about all the different opportunities you might have to do that before the moment when the check arrives, when you make the reservation, when you arrive at the establishment during a restroom break or when you've excused yourself from the table for a moment mm -hmm. when you ask for the check you can be sure that you're the one who requests it and you can indicate that even where on the table you would like it placed oh check please and you can go sort of indicate next to you mm -hmm. i also think that if you make that request and you make it clearly and they still fail that i would like to give my permission to say something to the establishment to mention it and maybe not make a big deal of it at the table or in a way that embarrasses the person who makes the mistake or the person mm -hmm. that you're dining with who's receiving the check but, but more a like quick, a general comment exactly a quick follow-up with the restaurant or a comment card or maybe something to the manager discreetly on the way out the door that would be helpful for them in the future to get it right Lizzie, how do you feel about that? Fairly similarly, I do want to point out, though, that when you make the reservation, um, especially because Confused in Carolina actually asked, I don't think making the reservation in your name is enough to indicate. I will also say, having been a server at a number of restaurants, I almost never know that someone has made a reservation all the time. It wasn't the, the types of restaurants I worked at. It wasn't the kind of thing where I got to look over a list of the people who would be coming in that night, maybe even looking for some regulars or maybe some prominent people or something like that to pay attention to. It, it was never like that. I often didn't even know if they had placed a reservation or were walk-ins. So that's not one I would use. What I would do with the reservation, though, because I do think there's a moment when you make the reservation where you could say, I'm taking my partner out to dinner. And I know a lot of restaurants will automatically kind of without thinking, give the bill to the gentleman. And I want to make it really clear to our server to please present me with the bill so that my partner does not, you know, even have to think about it. This is me treating him. And that would be the kind of thing that I would say at the reservation time. But there were frankly other times that you mentioned, Dan, that I think are even better opportunities. And those are when you get up to go use the restroom or if you choose to excuse yourself you know, sort of after you've finished eating, maybe before dessert, maybe after dessert, but you go to the host host stand or go find your server, kind of a, a 
away from your table at the restaurant and to let them know that you would like the check or you take care of the bill right then and there. I've done that a number of times where I've just kind of gone off and taken care of the bill away from the table altogether. But I think those other opportunities for me, I find them to be a little bit more direct than the reservation where I'm asking someone to communicate that to my server once I get there X number of days after I've made the reservation. I find that the the in the moment places that Dan was describing are a little bit more useful. That's just my own personal experience with it. I also think that when you ask for the check, rather than saying, could we get the check? You could say, could I get the check? And I think that might be enough of a, of a distinction difference for someone to bring it to you rather than to your partner. Again, you're, you're leaning on someone picking up on that rather than, you know, um, expressly saying, please bring the check to me, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But I do think these are all great moments to try to tackle this. And I, I just want to put it out there. I do kind of, I just have some faith that this will be not quite an assumption in the future. Confused in Carolina, there are certainly a number of different angles and approaches that you could take. We hope that our answer gives you lots of options and hope that it helps. Being friendly, thinking of the other person, and showing respect that make up everyday courtesy. Real living courtesy has made the evening a pleasure and a success. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about a hesitant housewarming host. Hmm. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast. I want to thank you for all you do, and specifically for the impact you have had in my life. Your advice and reminders have made me feel much more comfortable in social situations. I truly have come out of my shell in many ways since I began listening. Thank you. I have a question for you that I'm not sure has come up before. It requires a bit of a quick backstory. A close family friend lost their home in a forest fire that hit our community this summer. Unfortunately, it was a total loss for them, as there wasn't much time between the fire's onset and when evacuation orders were given. With the short notice, they were only able to get essentials out. It was a terrible situation, and they were one of many families affected. At the time of the fire, our town rallied together with a lot of aid and donations made available to those who lost their homes. The family I'm speaking of decided that they were in a fortunate enough position to be okay and didn't take any help so that others could have more. They just got into escrow on a beautiful home and are getting ready to start a new chapter. Myself and a few other friends have had the idea to throw them a housewarming that would function closer to a shower to help set up the home for them. My question is this, how would you go about throwing this type of event? Is it even okay to do something like this, or will it come off as a gift grab? We floated the idea around a bit, and everyone seems to like the concept, but the particulars are getting sticky. Like, should we have her register? I know that's not something typically done for housewarmings. Is it okay to have a party at a location that isn't the new home? 
I don't want them to feel rushed to get the space party ready, as that basically defeats the purpose of the party in the first place. Is there another option, such as a natural disaster rebuild shower? <laughs> Even saying that sounds crazy with a squinty eye laughing emoji the, Yeah, face. the emoji that comes with it is great. <laughs> but with climate change, it seems like more and more people will be in this predicament at some point. Maybe they will become a thing. Thank you so much for any ideas and insight you may have. Sincerely, Hesitant Host. Hesitant host, I am so sorry for what your neighbors and their community have gone through. That is really, really tough. And I really love hearing the community support rallying around the families and even families who said, you know what, we we have enough. We can let others, you know, who, who don't have quite as much lean into that moment where the community rallied and got a lot of things together to help people get back on their feet quickly. And I just see so much good happening here. And I totally understand both the wanting to throw this party and the conundrum of, so what is it? How do we explain to people easily and quickly what it is that we're trying to accomplish here and the types of quote unquote party rules that we want to follow, right? Because typically a housewarming is hosted by the people who own the house and it's an open house event. So we've got a start and an end time and it's not an event that you register for, but often an event where people will bring things. So it's like the new house seems to really fit the zone of the housewarming party. But because there was this huge disaster it does kind of feel like, and and the community seems to like the idea of throwing a party that has more of a shower vibe to it. I can see the desire to throw a party like a shower for someone else, which is typically what we do, right? Others choose to throw it for us, and you being a neighbor and community friend would be a very appropriate person to throw that type of party for them. But at the same time, typically you register for showers, but you don't register for housewarmings. And this is kind of a crossbreed of the two. And and you're right. How do we throw a shower for someone in their new home when we're not sure if their home is going to be the right place to host that type of thing? And showers aren't really thrown for homewarming, housewarmings. I love the idea of a natural disaster rebuild shower. I also think that you might be able to just call this a party and have it be community support just in the nature of throwing the party for them. And I'm trying to think of what the invitation might sound like. And I'm thinking something like, please join us in, and maybe, maybe you make it a surprise party. I'm not sure, but please join us in celebrating the, the Joneses we'll call them and their new home we would love to throw kind of a high, I, I'm like, I'm even having a hard time making up the invitation, Dan, but I'm thinking mm -hmm. that you kind of want to communicate that it's a hybrid between a housewarming and a shower. And you can even say on the back of it, we know you don't typically give showers for a new home, but we also know a housewarming is typically hosted by the host, but we're really doing our own thing with this. And we're hoping that people will contribute and, I feel like somewhere in the invitation, you can communicate the spirit of the event and that that'll help get people on board. I have not done an eloquent job of it. And I've also just like rambled on as usual. But Dan, I'm feeling like there's a place in here for this. <laughs> I, I am too. And I am 
loving hearing you struggle with invitation wording. <laughs> Just in case you wondered, y'all. <laughs> I could not come up with anything. I really found myself when I was thinking about this. First of all, this is just one of my favorite questions we've received in a long time. Great and question. You and I talked a lot about the potential for climate to impact our social expectations and mm -hmm. being unable to accurately predict where those questions might emerge or how they might emerge, but just knowing that societal change impacts etiquette. I would not have imagined this particular problem or this particular question, a hybrid housewarming slash shower. <laughs> In some ways, I, I, I like your idea of calling it a, a party that, 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 that it feels to me like a safer choice than mm -hmm. labeling it a housewarming or lab labeling it a shower, both of which have a very particular set of expectations that come with them because mm -hmm. they are sort of well-defined in people's minds. But a fresh start party, a new beginnings party, oh, oh, I something like these, these are good titles like yes. that. Yeah. I think might get people mentally in the game. As far as the rest of the invitation wording, I am comfortable saying this is a new enough thing that, that we're in a beta testing phase with it. <laughs> I like that idea beta testing phase of invitation wording. And, and the, my little escape hatch in my own mind was, I want to borrow from the, the part of a shower that makes a shower as a gift giving party function well and, and really be a possible thing, which is that the idea there is that it's really among a, a smaller subset of people. Yep. And I would think about going in that direction. I, I feel like it would I be like harder to idea. organize the, the really broad reach that a house party can have around yep. something as new and dynamic as a, fresh start new beginnings party and natural disaster rebuild shower <laughs> and precisely because it's so hard to explain in quick language on an invitation that people are going to understand that you're going to need that word of mouth um uh, both ability to communicate the intent of the party and receive the consent of the people who are being invited that this is the kind of thing they they are also inspired and feel really good about participating in. Dan, I think you've hit the nail on the head with this conundrum of how to handle this party. And my guess is that having spoken to a number of the people in the community who want to participate in this and kind of getting the buy-in, that if you just invite those people to it, it's still going to feel really great. They're going to know the goal because you've done that organizing thing ahead of time where you've kind of talked to people first and figured out or at least communicated well what the agenda for this is, what the goal of this party is. And I think keeping it small and to just those people who have already kind of bought into it. First of all, the, the hosts can always throw their own host, uh, housewarming party at some point with no mm -hmm. expectation of gifts and all of that. So that is still an option. I really like the idea of treating this um, the same way you might treat like a, an office shower if you were the office party not invited to the wedding or something like that. You know what I mean? And you, mm -hmm. you do the little gathering that way and it's a really specific group. You're not trying to include the family and their personal friends outside of your cul-de-sac or something like that. You know, it's like it really is just kind of the, the people who know about this particular situation and, you know, really wanted to be involved in helping these folks get some things back together and, and celebrate their new home. So, again, doesn't exclude any kind of uh, housewarming in the future, but I think keeping it to just this guest list is the key 
to communicating this hybrid party well and and having it go off without people being confused. Dan, you totally found the right avenue into this party. And and I like the the way you're paralleling it with an an office shower. And the yeah. other kind of parallel event that I might keep in mind would be any type of charity function that you're inviting people to. Mm-hmm. That when you're asking people to participate, there's both a generosity of spirit about just wanting them there and wanting them to participate. But there's also a, an expectation that you're going to communicate that, that this is a charity gala that they're being invited to, not a f- fashion gala or a museum opening. or th- th- They know the purpose of the event. So if you're starting to think of this as a way to, to really show this family – your support and and your 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 desire to be part of their rebuild and and desire to really materially support them in that that that's something you 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 would want to talk about with any potential guests but and thinking about the way you would talk about a, another charity event might be a way to find some parallel language and and a a spirit of invitation that's appropriate for this party Hesitant host, thank you so much for the question. It is so wonderful to see and hear about this type of community support, and we certainly hope that our answer helps you in your efforts to help your neighbors. This is one party that just has to turn out right. Well, the purpose of a party is to have fun together, and a successful party needs planning and skill. They all take planning, and they should all be fun. Our next question is titled, Potluck Problem. Hi, I have an etiquette question. I have a very good friend who never brings anything to a party or a function. For instance, sometimes I will ask my guests to BYOB or bring a dish. Oftentimes, she never brings anything. Or, in the event that she does, it's typically a bag of candy, LOL, or something very last minute and just not appropriate. I have started to ask her to bring something very specific, like a bottle of red wine or a fruit salad. Is this the right approach? I've considered talking to her about it more directly, but I'm not really sure what to say, and I don't want to embarrass her. Thank you in advance. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for your question. And I just want to start off by applauding you for being a host. We have talked in this show recently about the challenges of being a host. And one of the challenges that people face today is that guests aren't always exactly sure how to participate. Many can't even get themselves to respond to an invitation. So in some ways, I just want to um, offer a golf clap, a little round of applause and say, good work for just getting your friends together and getting them there. And for thinking about the the next phase of helping people understand how to participate. And there is some gentle guiding that you can do as a host. There is information you can share to set people up well. And there's also a, a certain hosting skill to recognizing that at a certain point you accept people as they are and with what they, what they can do and bring and, And you make them feel good about bringing what they can. And I can see that you're balancing all of those things. And I I really appreciate it. I was thinking that it is particularly for events that are understood or thought of and are being hosted as BYOs or potlucks that you can make those gentle requests. In fact, they, they set everyone up to participate well. I would keep the language 
specifically asking language so that you're not telling someone what to do, but constructions like would you, could you, if you're able, or if you're willing are all great ways to present those more specific directions. Like a bottle of red wine would be nice or a fruit salad would fit perfectly and fill a gap that I've got in the meal. Is that something that you could manager that you could bring. Dan, I'm so glad to hear you talk about that ask language. BYO parties and potlucks, and they are a little bit different. BYO is often more of a suggestion and letting folks know that you might not have everything that they want. For instance, like um, a house that's a non-alcohol house, they might say, you know, uh, bring bring your own alcohol if you'd like, and please remember to take it with you when you leave. That's sort of an optional thing. If you want this thing, I'm not providing it, so I'm suggesting you bring your own. Whereas a potluck really is supposed to be everyone coming together and participating in it to fill out and round out the meal. Now, not everyone is able to cook a side dish or, you know, or bake a pie. And so sometimes when you RSVP, there's a little negotiation about bringing something store-bought or, boy, you know, you could make the party, but you're just going to be coming in having driven back from a long business trip. And your host might say, you know what, don't you worry about bringing anything. There's plenty of extra stuff around. But you, for a potluck, you do do it as an ask. And oftentimes you say something like, I'll be providing the chili if folks could bring, you know, uh, hors d'oeuvres and dessert. That would be great. And then as people RSVP, they sign up for a particular thing. So you start to get a sense of how many people are coming, how many people each person's dish needs to be able to satisfy, you know, f um, accommodate, excuse me. And and that's sort of the the back and forth that goes on there. But Dan had mentioned ask, and it is it is really important that that come as an ask, not a demand. In other words, you don't say, in order to come, you need to bring something. But the expectation for the guest is that you are going to contribute something if it's a potluck and if your host is really asking for people to bring things. One of the pieces of advice that we often give is exactly what Anonymous is already doing, which is getting a little bit more specific. And so asking someone to bring a bottle of wine or a fruit salad and then just working with them on their reaction to that, oh, a fruit salad might be tough. Could I bring a pie from the store instead? Yeah, that would be wonderful. You know, it's it's that kind of a back and forth host guest dance. So here's the pop quiz question. Okay. What do you do if the person doesn't bring things or if they bring a bag of candy or right. <laughs> a disappointing thing? <laughs> Yeah. Would you say something? Would you ever go talk to the person about it? No, I, I wouldn't. I think that I either uh, love this person's company enough that I'm just going to not worry about it and it'll just be a quirk of them that isn't my favorite thing about them, but it's not enough to ruin my friendship or my wanting them to be there. If that's not the case, if I don't like this person that much, I just kind of like them. <laughs> and it's starting to feel like, boy, they never participate in the way that I ask people to participate. It's also worth asking yourself, how much are you asking your guests to participate every time they come over? And there isn't anything wrong with being a host who only hosts potlucks. 
But I know that some guests start to feel a little uncomfortable feeling like they have to bring something every single time. And so it's just worth noting. It's not that either is right or wrong, but it's just worth noting that that people can start to feel one way or the other about it. Just the same way you're starting to feel like, boy, you never bring the right thing. I kind of wonder if I shouldn't invite you anymore. Maybe this isn't your type of party to attend. And so I think it's worth asking yourself the question, how much does it mean to me to have this person there? Is it worth it to me if they're not participating in bringing food? Should I just automatically assume I can't count on them? You know, when I ask folks to pitch in and bring a little extra or something to share, or is it really that, you know, that sharing is a real big part of what I love about community and friendship and someone who's really not participating well in that isn't someone I want around. And that's another valid way to look at it. It doesn't have to be that angle. You could end up saying, no, I really, I really like my friend and she's not great at this, but I'm going to let that slide because I want her at the party. I like keeping that thought in mind. I like the, the spirit of generosity that I think is a home for that thought. And I also like your approach to entertaining in acknowledging that people have different entertaining styles and preferences. And it might be that your preferred entertaining style is not the preference of this particular person. It doesn't mean that you're not good friends. It doesn't mean there aren't lots of good opportunities for you to interact other ways socially, or you might think about modifying your entertaining style to accommodate that person. If that's important to you, I can remember a time in my life when I was footloose and fancy free and I would be invited to an event and I might think to myself, well, I'm not going to bring anything, but I'm not going to eat anything when I'm there. And I want to go and hang out with everybody and participate, but I'm not a big bringer sharer and I'm not a big taker at the party. And I would imagine myself being able to go and participate and leave and not have that necessarily be a, a drain if I'm not contributing. Mm-hmm. And I'm now reflecting back and saying, boy, maybe that is a psychological drain on the hosts that that I would ask totally. that of. Or maybe that there is a, a a way that you can build a party that combines elements of both. I'm thinking about potlucks where the main is taken care of or the dinner is provided at a BYO event. And there's some, like you maybe suggested, Lizzie, some soft drink beverages. But if you want alcohol, bring that. And that provides an opportunity for people to bring something if they want, maybe even to bring something to share if they want. But if they don't, you have taken care of enough of the basics that anybody could come in and enjoy the party and participate yeah. in the sharing of food, even if they didn't or weren't able to bring something to share. Yeah, Anonymous, we know that these types of host guest issues can feel really awkward, but we think that if you keep your focus on the friendship and you keep your focus on how you want to be a host, that you're going to find a really great way to be able to have both of those things feel comfortable and be something that you get to enjoy. Keep up the good hosting. Well, we want something to eat, something to drink. Refreshment. How about hot chocolate and sandwiches? I'll fix the sandwich. Well, thanks, Eileen. Suppose I talk it over with Mother and get her suggestions. Our next question is about teens and toddlers. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I love your show and really appreciate the positive vibes each week. You both clearly live consideration, respect, and honesty and make me aspire to it as well. My young daughter was at a park play date last year with some fellow kindergartners and first graders. 
One of the kindergartner's parents brought along their young teenage son as well. He was playing with the kids, and then they all huddled under the play structure. I was a little uncomfortable. Why would a teen want to play with all these little kids? When they all came out of the play structure, his dad asked what they were talking about, and the teen said, Oh, early reader books, in a saccharine way, the other parents thought was charming. I work with kids and teens, and this instantly set off my lie detector. But then they all disbanded into pairs, dictated by the teen, to play some spy game or something. He paired himself off with my kindergartner, to a far but still visible part of the playground. I could tell my shy and sensitive girl was uncomfortable, so I went over and said I didn't want her to play so far from the playground. She immediately burst into tears and just wanted to stick by my side the rest of the play date. We talked about it later, and he was telling them about some fighting game and said he was going to teach her to fight and that they were all going to all fight or something. She was tearful talking about it for days. The boy's sister is now my daughter's best friend and one of the only classmates she is comfortable with and plays with. She has been a saving grace for my girl. I've picked her up to go on an adventure, but we've otherwise been busy this summer. I want them to have more play dates. The girl is really sweet, and they are great friends. Her parents are lovely people, and I don't want to offend them, but the situation with their son made me and my daughter so uncomfortable. I do not feel comfortable with her going over to their house without me, and definitely not having a sleepover. How can I tell them I'd be glad to host more playdates than have their daughter over, but I'm not comfortable sending my daughter to their house? I trust the parents and genuinely like them, but cannot risk letting my daughter hang out with their son unsupervised. I know this is a complex situation, and I would love some insight and sample scripts so my shy daughter can keep and grow her relationship with her best friend at school in a safe way. Thanks for all you do. That mom. Oh, that mom, that's a that's a very tough situation. Dan, off the top of my head, I feel like if the situation is is so nerve wracking that you really don't want your daughter spending the night over there or doing play dates without you there, that at some point you're going to need to communicate that to the other parents. And I don't think it's a terrible idea to talk with them about the day at the playground and what your daughter's reaction was to it. I mean, I'm assuming someone maybe saw it, maybe saw what was going on, given that when you went over to your daughter and said, you know, I'm not comfortable with you guys playing this far from the playground, that then she bursts into tears, you know? I feel like that could have been a time to to lean into a little bit more of a conversation, but I think that talking about the incident of that day is is probably something that... I'm guessing, and again, I'm I'm not a parent, but I'm guessing that talking about it is probably better than not. And at the same time, I understand the fear that that if talking about it sets the parents off or puts them in a defensive position about their son, that that could impact the daughter's play relationship. And that's it's like I want to suggest the talking about it. And Dan knows that I'm often the the confrontational one who's like, let's just get this out out in the open so we can work around it and work with it. And and there's a part of me that also is nervous about what that could do if it doesn't go well. Dan, what are what are your first thoughts about this particular question? I I hear your nerves, but I am right there with your initial instinct. Yeah, that. In many ways, I think 
if your daughter and this other girl are going to have a close relationship, there are going to be a lot of very natural opportunities for you as parents to talk to each other and discover all sorts of things about what your expectations are around how your kids are going to get together. And in some ways, I think you're really lucky that that day happened. Not luckily that it went so badly for your daughter, but lucky that you know so much about what happened that day that I think you can talk about it in ways that are very specific and very clear that'll outline the potential problems and troubles that having unsupervised teens with kids that age can present. And that because this particular problem has already presented itself, it takes it out of that realm of, oh, this is a possible thing that can happen when you have these kind of age differences to no, we had a really bad experience with this kind of age difference play going on. And Mm -hmm. the kind of whether it's insidious or whether it's just the natural bad judgment that teens will have because they lack experience and don't have the same decision-making capabilities that they will hopefully have 10 years down the line that, that because it's already occurred, it doesn't need to be a theoretical, Oh, I'm concerned about what might happen. It's no, this happened. And this this concern is present in our lives and it's had impacts for my daughter and for me. So it's important that I talk with you about it. I am also thinking about those other parents. And if for some reason you sense that that conversation is not possible for you to have Mm -hmm. for some reason, you get a sense that, that they would not be receptive to it or they would go very badly. I think you can know your own limits and say, these are the parameters I can set up where I can um, feel confident and comfortable that my daughter is safe. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that based on your description of them as lovely people, that you probably see some room to be able to have that conversation with them and have it well. And are you ready, Lizzie, for my most optimistic and hopeful thought about this? (laughs) Sure. That it might be a hard thing for them to hear as parents that this particular thing happened and that someone else has this view of their son and his behavior. But I will tell you, if I learned something like that about one of my children, I would be mortified, but I would also be grateful that I knew it because I could then talk to them about it and paying I could more help attention them. to, yeah. Yes. I could pay more attention to it myself and I could also maybe help them understand how those were bad decisions and how yeah. that impacted the way other people see them, felt. trust them, felt at the time. Um, so both, yeah, the impacts that it had on others and the impacts that it had on how others perceived him. Dan, I'm really reminded of a moment I had as a child, and I probably would have been between the ages of five and seven, maybe even eight, but but definitely young part of my life. And I went over to my friend Brianna's house, and she had an older brother, and he had a play date that day. And they played a game where they like tied Brianna and I up to chairs and locked us in the closet. And we weren't locked in the closet, you know? But it was it was like a game of, you know, cops and robbers or something like that. It was some some kind of a game, you know, call it a spy game, call it a cops and robbers game, call it a, you know, good guys, bad guys. I don't know. But the the part of the game was where we were sitting on chairs in the parents closet and they shut the door to the closet. And I was really scared. I didn't have a brother. I had nine boy cousins who did things like put me on top of a punching bag and leave me there. But they didn't do – I wasn't used to this kind of play in a different house with 
my friend's brother who I didn't know very well at all. You know, it's not like we rode the bus together or that, you know, she and I went to his t-ball practices a lot. And so it was really scary for me. And Brianna kept telling me, it's just a game. Don't worry. Like, it's just a game. Don't worry. And and she was really comfortable. She, I could tell that she was really comfortable. She understood the game and that I wasn't and I didn't like the game. And it it wasn't something that I ever, I think, talked with my parents about or that we said we weren't going to go over there. But it really, as an adult, has stuck out in my mind that, like, I didn't get it in that moment, that I, I was safe and I was fine, and and I know that now, but I didn't get it in the moment. And what I'm trying to say is that different kids have different levels of feeling safe and secure and comfortable and confident as they're getting used to living and working and interacting with the world outside of them. And I think it is important to pay attention to their comfort levels. And of course, you know, we all, we all want to push them. That first sleepover, I know I called my parents and came home. And my first sleepover birthday party, I called my parents and came home. And I have vivid memories of them pipping me up late at night and bringing me home to my own bed and all of that. But that it is important to to watch out for our kids' comfort zones. And I think that talking to the other parents about the lack of comfort your daughter felt at that day at the park and saying that that does just have you have concerns, especially once you found out that they weren't talking about early reader books, but they were talking about fighting and spy games and how the uncomfortable that made your daughter, that it makes you a little worried about leaving her at the house without you or about, you know, potential sleepovers in the future and that you would love to find some way between you two as families to really help you you and your daughter feel comfortable about her being there or hanging out with that family. Um, and I think that that might be the type of language that you could start to use to enter that conversation where the other parents might start to understand your approach isn't to vilify their son. It's to make your daughter feel comfortable so that her friendship can thrive. Absolutely. And I, I was thinking also, Lizzie, about the approach to that conversation and treating those other parents as potential allies, I think, is one way to think about it, that you're sharing information about a thing that happened. It's not a comment on their parenting or their son that right. in many ways, I think that that approach of, hi, you as a fellow ally, if you know this I'm sure you will make good decisions also. And it's in that spirit that I'm communicating it to you is a great way to share that information. And then if their reaction is defensive, um, you can deal with that separately. You know, your own limits. And, and, and if you're not getting good responses from them, if they're not behaving like allies in reply, you can take the steps that you need to take care of your daughter. But I think you're going to end up with a team that's working together to help these two little girls be really great friends. That mom, we do not think you are that mom at all. We think you are that mom. And we really hope that our answer helps and that things go well for your kindergartner the rest of the school year. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you enjoy Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content, like group calls with Lizzie and me. Plus, you'll feel great knowing you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support, and we hope to see you on the next call. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Anonymous about episode 415. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Quick response to the question about lying. First, I appreciated that you considered the simple question about how or if to address lying apart from the situation described. And I loved the sample language you gave. But like you both, I was a little puzzled by the situation described. Even if the road trip had taken place when the letter writer expected, it sounds like they weren't expecting to get the iPads back because they had permanently given them to the other family. After the road trip, the situation would be the same. The other family could be letting their young kids use the iPad all the time now that they had them. I wonder why the letter writer didn't offer to just loan the iPads for the trip if that was really the only time they were comfortable contributing to their young nibblings' tech use. I appreciated Dan pointing out that there could be multiple road trips or a vague plan that the iPads could come in handy for some future trip. Perhaps something, maybe the letter writer saying that they had iPads they didn't need or want anymore, prompted the sister-in-law to ask at that moment if she could take them for her kids, and then it was a mistaken impression by the letter writer that there was a trip very soon. And a road trip is a pretty elastic term. Even a one-hour drive with an unhappy toddler can feel very long. (laughs) That's true. Bottom line, as the letter writer points out, once you give a gift, you can't control how it's used. So if you can imagine uses that would make you really uncomfortable, you can always decline the request. In this case, I might have said I needed to check with the rest of the family about whether we were really ready to get rid of the iPads now. If I had already accidentally opened the door to the request by saying we were planning to give them away. Keep up the good work. I love listening to you each week. A fan. Smiley face. Anonymous, thank you so much for the feedback. This was a really complicated question, a complicated situation, and glad to know we weren't the only ones who wanted maybe a little bit more context going on in the question. But definitely, I think, a number of avenues moving forward, and we really appreciate hearing your perspective on them. So thank you for taking the time to write in the feedback. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next piece of feedback or update or etiquette salute or question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text, and we'd love to hear your voice at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette, and today we're going to explore the world of Debrett's. Debrett's has been an etiquette institute in England since 1769, and much like Emily Post, they provide advice on how to conduct oneself. With all the interest in the royal family since the death of Queen Elizabeth II, we felt you all might enjoy hearing about a sister, or maybe we would even dare to say auntie organization, across the pond. Lizzie Boast, I love that. I um, always feel a bit vainglorious when I describe Debrett's as a, a kindred organization or a sister organization across the pond because they really have an incredible history. They came into existence in 1769 with the publishing of The Peerage. And I'm not sure if the baronetage happened at the same time, but I know The Peerage has a 250-year history. So very similarly to the Emily Post Institute, Debrett's has a publishing history that is really the backbone of what they do and anchors them historically in the role that they play as the go-to source for information about royal lineage in Great Britain and England. And Dan, for those who don't know what the peerage is, will you explain that? It is quite specifically the record of royal lineages and um, aristocratic lines in Great Britain, Wales, Scotland, and Ireland. So it's these are the people who are tasked with knowing who ranks. If you are throwing a dinner party with the queen and you need to know where to sit the Viscount and the Duchess and the Duke Debrett's and the Lord. Is the, exactly. <laughs> the, the resource that you can consult for dependable um, information about exactly that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we have a trainer who just graduated the Emily Post Train the Trainer program who is also, I think, going to be working with the with the Debrett's program, right? She is. We are delighted to have recently graduated Meredith McCrindle, and mm. she lives and works in Scotland where she is a professional harpist and um, has a really interesting set of associations and friends and is also going to be doing a a trainer training with Debrett's who very similar to Emily Post are kind of coming out of a hibernation, having shut down the majority of, if not all of their in-person programs for about two years now. So welcome back to Brett's welcome back online to in-person events. Um, and with a, a real, with a lot of focus, a lot of interest right now on the Royal family, I thought this would be a good time to introduce our audience to Debrett's and I think we've mentioned them before, but I thought a good place to start would be with the way they tell their own story. So the following is from the about page of Debrett's website, which is very simple, debrett's.com if you want to find out more. The Debrett's story begins, Debrett's is a record keeper and chronicler of British society, a publisher and an authority on modern manners. Debrett's is the ultimate authority on Britain's titled aristocracy and has been recording the biographical details of its membership since 1769. It is also an adjudicator of people of today, singling out and crediting outstanding professional achievements and success in all walks of British society. As a widely recognized arbiter of modern manners, Debrett's advises on matters relating to protocol, precedence, etiquette, and behavior. Today, Debrett's continues to share its expertise in building skills and social confidence through coaching books and subscription services. What we believe in. At Debrett's, we value British history and heritage and the long-standing role we have taken in recording the story of many major historical figures. 
but we also look forward to a dynamic world of personal ambition and achievement where success is attainable and social skills are indispensable. We want to share our established expertise on correct form, etiquette, and modern manners, giving people the confidence to fulfill their full potential. Sounds like a sister organization, right? I was going to say, that sounds very familiar. I like it. <laughs> I, like, I like feeling that we're all on that same page of etiquette as a confidence builder. And there was one other selection I pulled up from their website that I sure. thought might be of particular interest to the awesome etiquette audience today. And that's that they have a section of their website, which has recently been redone. I'm still learning my way around it. I've been a, a, a fan and follower for over 10 years now. I think the new version is one of their best. It's called the Royal Family. And this section describes itself thusly. The British Royal Family is internationally renowned. For the first time in DeBrett's history, we have collated all our essential Royal Family information and etiquette to form a dedicated, freely accessible resource. Here you will find information on the Royal Family, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, articles on Royal Etiquette, and histories of the monarchs of England and Scotland and the Princes of Wales. You can also learn more about the line of succession and process of accession and more. So if you are curious about royalty in general and British royalty in particular, go to the source, check out DeBrett's compendium under the royal family, and you will be the authoritative source of knowledge in your community. <laughs> And I say that with confidence. They've been around for 250 years. This is what they do. Dan, would you be willing to read one of those wonderful resources you just, I'm sure, I probably can't get through the whole thing, but maybe pick a couple paragraphs from something. Have I piqued your curiosity, Lizzie? I, I know you I love royals. More, I can just, it. I can see you sitting there saying Don't to yourself. Don't make me enter a web address. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, I do. I want to, I want to know more. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you your choice. Royal ceremonies, okay. royal etiquette, royal history, royal biographies. Oh, please. This is so easy. Royal etiquette. I want that one. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. <laughs> addressing the royal family, royal events, tables of precedence. I think I want addressing the royal family because that's the thing that would make me the most nervous. <laughs> addressing the royal family. And we have quick links to royal etiquette, communicating with the king, communicating with other members of the royal family, invitations to members of the royal family, invitations from the royal family, entertaining royal guests. But we'll start with communicating with the king. The king and all members of the royal family have private secretaries who deal with their correspondence, writing to the king. Unless you are personally known to the sovereign, any letter to the king should be addressed to the private secretary to his majesty the king. There is no need to address the private secretary by name, but if there is subsequent correspondence, this should be addressed to the actual writer of the reply. Okay. Communications from those known personally. For those who wish to communicate directly with the king, the following style is used. The letter should begin, sir, or may it please your majesty. The first line of the letter should begin with the phrase, with my humble duty. Mm. The main content of the letter then follows. It should end, I have the honor to remain, sir, your majesty's most humble and obedient servant. The word remain can be replaced with be if desired. Mm. In the body of the letter, alternate between your majesty and your majesties and you and your. The envelope should be addressed to his majesty, the king. Verbal address. Use your majesty for the first time and subsequently, sir. 
In conversation, refer to His Majesty or the King as appropriate. Your Majesty should be substituted for you. References to other members of the royal family are made to His or Her Royal Highness or to the appropriate title, such as the Princess Royal. And then we continue on being presented to the king, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's it's fun. It's full of juicy details, a lot of specificity, and mm-hmm. frankly, the authority to be able to believe in these things with confidence, which is um, also really so nice, because there's a lot of <laughs> internet resources out there that will tell you a lot of different things. Yeah. Debrett's is very dependable. Debrett's is telling you the right thing. <laughs> it's who we would be looking up if we had put in how to address a king or queen in our book. That would be the source we'd be going to to look for it. But I do love exactly. hearing the detail. I love hearing things like you could you could change the word remain to be if you wanted to. I, I like that level of specificity. Alternating in- between plural and singular. Yeah, really interesting. It, it reminds me of writing the, the, the 20th edition for sure, for sure. Dan, thank you so much for bringing us a bit of etiquette from across the pond. I know lots of people have been uh, writing in and asking us about it. So it's it's good to be able to get a great resource out there and explore it a little bit in our Postscript segment. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Mercedes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have just returned from an amazing four months traveling in Colombia, Argentina, and Uruguay, and wanted to share a couple salutes for folks who really made our time in Argentina incredible. A huge thank you to my good friend, Martu a Buenos Aires native. My partner and I were traveling as minimally as possible, but when we decided to do a mini trip from Buenos Aires for two weeks to the northwest of Argentina, Martu was so quick to offer to keep our extra suitcase and things, including a skateboard and snorkeling gear, in her flat. This made it so much easier for us to travel and saved us a good chunk of money. It's always awkward to ask these things, so the fact that she offered without hesitation was so kind. On top of this kind gesture, she made a point of checking in during the weeks before we arrived in Argentina, and nearly every day when we were there, and whenever we parted ways after dark, she always texted to make sure I got home safe. Also in Argentina, in wine country, the best, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, we encountered a couple really unfortunate Airbnb situations. Long story short, on two separate occasions, we showed up to our booking to be told that the host no longer had access to their Airbnb account and that our booking was therefore invalid. We were lucky enough to be able to find an alternative the first time it happened, but the second time it happened was in one of the busiest towns during the busiest weekend, Easter weekend. The family who was meant to host us went out of their way for 
hours helping us find another place to stay. They spoke little English and we spoke little Spanish, but they gave us tea and biscuits and told us stories about what it was like in their area decades ago. We ended up staying at their friend's horse ranch. What? Exclamation point, question mark. Which was spectacular. Fruit trees everywhere, two lovely dogs, and a beautiful mountain view to wake up to. To Maria and her boyfriend, her father Daniel, and our host Enrique in Maipu, Argentina, thank you for your kindness and willingness to help out two tired Canadians. I cannot recommend Argentina enough, Lizzie and Dan. I think you, and literally everyone, would love it. All my best, Mercedes. Oh, Mercedes, and all our best back to you. Thank you for that awesome salute and for the inspiration. That region of the world is one of the great gaps in my travel experience, and I can't wait to rectify it. (laughs) Thank you so much for the salute. And thank you all for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers any way that you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It really helps our show ranking, which helps more people to find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.